Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, there's something important about that word this morning. There's something important about the word faithfulness today, Lord. And we just thank you for your faithfulness. Father, I think of that word out of Habakkuk that says, it doesn't matter if anything is in the barns, barn might be empty, the fields may be bare, but we trust in you, Father God. And Lord, those situations are, in some instances, far from being bare and barren, but they're, they're tough times for some people. And Father, you are faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. And that's what we're here to talk about and to think about and to remember today. And so we just welcome you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's warm in here. <laughs> Bill, you can turn down the heat in the back there. You can turn that down. You know, it's, it's interesting, um, this week, uh, the the feeling of order and chaos kept on coming to me. <laughs> Everyone's going, yeah. Um, and and we, certainly, we certainly do have uh, some incidences and circumstances uh, stances happening in the world that, you know, there's some chaos. It looks like there's some chaos. But um, God was saying, this week I was listening, I kept on getting that statement, order in chaos, order in chaos. And God's in control even when chaos may seem to be all around. Um, and I want to look at a couple instances in Scripture where that was true. Paul was in uh, kind of a state of panic a couple of times in his ministry that we know about. The first one is in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 9. And uh, it's interesting. He's, he'd been through a, a pretty tough time, and he's talking to the Corinthian church and just uh, talking about his ministry and in some ways trying to uh, encourage them about his ministry and then in other times talking about the difficulties of his ministry. And it says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we, because he's talking about him and the travel companions that he had, we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. It's a powerful statement. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. So he's giving these three very strong indications of the chaos that was going on. But as a result... We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raised the dead. So Paul is attributing that whole experience so that he could learn something. Uh, whether or not that was the sole purpose of it, we don't know, but that is the benefit that he took out of it, is that he learned to rely on God. And we say, you know, it's interesting, Paul, Paul had been through so, through so much and you know what's interesting about Paul? And for those 
that may not, if they're watching, and may not have the slightest idea who Paul is. It's one of the things about speaking is that we have to remember that there may be people watching who have no idea who Paul is. And we're here talking along about Paul. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he is really responsible for the bulk of the New Testament writings. Um, but it was very interesting when Paul was called, um, and he had that situation where he was knocked off his horse and onto the ground. He was blind for a couple of three days, and then someone was called to go pray for him so that he would receive his sight. Whole sermon in that. But what was beautiful about that is God said, because I need to show him what he must suffer. He wasn't having great revelations of heaven, though he did. He saw Jesus. Jesus appeared to him in person, so that, it, that enabled him to be an apostle, but in the definition of it, of it at that time. But it's interesting that God, what God wanted to show him was what he would have to suffer. Who, like, can you imagine the first thing? You come and you accept Christ, and then some, someone sits you down and says, okay, here's what's going to happen. This is going to happen to you. That is going to happen to you. You're going to be whipped. You're going to be shipwrecked. You're going to be beaten. You're going to be all these things. And Paul was told it, and he seemed to agree. He said, okay, I'm in. A lot of us don't have the privilege of knowing ahead of time some of the difficulties that we're going to come into. And it can really catch us by surprise. And in some ways, we can say, well, we never thought this was going to be part of the package or, well, this shouldn't be part of the package because my idea of Christianity is that you shouldn't suffer and you shouldn't have difficulties. And there are some people who think that. I think far fewer now than, <laughs> than ever before. But nonetheless, in this situation, what it gave Paul was the ability to learn that he has to rely only on God. Things were completely out of control circumstances were dangerous to the point that he thought he was going to die. The word dismayed there in one of the translations, when you go back to the Greek on it, and I do not profess in any way, shape, or form to know Greek, but I've got some wonderful software that does know Greek. <laughs> and uh, it is an utter loss of hope. And that's where he was, an, an absolute utter loss of hope that anything good was going to come out of that situation and that in any way God was going to intervene. He didn't have that hope. But what he did learn from it is that he can rely on God in difficult circumstances. And sometimes the best way to learn that is to go through difficult circumstances. And who wants to do that? None of us want to do that. But God intervened in some way and rescued Paul. It says in 2 Corinthians 1.10, and he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. That's what coming through a tough situation does. It kind of galvanizes things for us. And God may be very much in the process of galvanizing something in our life that we, it's not yet completely galvanized. You know what I'm saying? We're not coming out of it. Paul, Paul said that after like he's talking to the Corinthians, this experience is behind him, so he's got the ability to look at it and go, oh, okay, okay, now, now I get it. At the time, and he is honest enough to tell us that at the time he didn't have that belief. He was dismayed and he thought he was going to die. Pretty good company. I love that scripture is so honest because it helps us. 
So God brought order into the chaos that Paul was experiencing, even though he thought he was going to die. Another experience for Paul was his shipwreck on his way to Rome. We talked about this some time back. But it's interesting because uh, Paul was going to go to Rome. Uh, he had been arrested in Jerusalem. And they put him in front of the governor and, and a few other people. And he appealed to Caesar. And because he was a Roman citizen, Paul pulled his citizen card. <laughs> and he said, no, I'm going to appeal to Caesar. And Caesar is going to judge this situation. So they said, okay. You can go to Rome and we'll send you to Rome. So he's going to Rome to defend himself to Caesar. And some of you know the story that on the way to Rome on the boat, there is a really bad storm combined with some really bad decisions by the captain. He didn't listen to Paul's warnings and they decided to go anyway. And the, the short story on that is that they got into a really bad situation. There were a lot of people on this boat, 260 some odd people on this boat. It was a big boat. And the storm went on for 14 days. For 14 days, the storm went on, raging. And it, everything was in chaos. And if you read the story, they were doing all kinds of crazy things to try to help the situation. But in the middle of it, Paul did something really interesting. Acts 27, 33 to 38. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. He said, you have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks. For two weeks, this had been going on. Ha I don't know, has it, have, it, have any of you ever been in a, in a storm on the ocean, in a boat? It's horrific. Um, one of the most harrowing experiences I ever had in my life was going from Prince Edward Island to Nova Scotia on that tin can of a ferry that they had back then. And they s it was the first crossing in the morning, and they said, well, we don't know if we're going to go because it, it's pretty bad out there. So we were, I was in a band at that time, and we had been playing in Prince Edward Island. And... Uh, they said, I think we'll give her a go and we're going to go. So you think, okay, the captain knows what he's doing. As soon as, we <laughs> as soon as we got past the dock, because those ferries are, are more flat bottomed, so they told us, the thing started rocking. And I mean rocking. Like you're sitting there and you'd see the sky for 10 seconds and then you'd see the ocean for 15 seconds and it just kept this... And you could hear the cars down below smashing and banging. And people were getting sick, getting seasick. It was terrifying. And that's just on a little ferry going across the Northumberland Strait. I also remember going from North Sydney to Newfoundland. How many have done that trip? A few people have done. I did it in the winter, first time. Again, we were playing in Newfoundland. I didn't know anything about ice. I didn't know about icebreakers. I didn't know how they worked. And... In the middle of the night, everything just came to a crashing halt that it woke, woke us all up. And then you heard, and it sounded like, like it was coming apart. I said, did we, hit did we hit a rock or something? And everything stopped, and then it just, and it goes again. Of course, it's going up on the ice. 
I didn't know it was going up on the ice, and that's how it breaks it. I didn't know that. I thought we were going down. It's a terrifying thing to be in the middle of the ocean, and that's where they were. And for 14 days it had been like this, and, and they had been so scared that they hadn't been eating. They are in a state of chaos. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. That's good. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who are on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. So they're still trying to fix the situation as best they can. But Paul knew something they didn't know. He knew that everybody was going to be saved. That much. Because in Acts 27, an angel appears to him and he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. Boy, that must have been a great few moments for Paul. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. This is great. Sometimes you don't have the benefit of an angel showing up. But you know what we do have? We have the word of God. And the word of God is fundamentally the anchor of our walk. Uh, you can have visitations. You can have whatever experiences that you may have or I may have. None of it usurps scripture. Paul actually said to the, uh, to the Galatians, he said, if somebody comes and preaches a gospel to you other than anything, it doesn't matter anything than what has been given to you by revelation, he said, let them be cursed. It doesn't matter what experiences we have. Fundamentally, it's going to be the word of God that gets us through difficult situations. That's, that's what's going to do it. That is the thing that we hold on to. I love it when God connects some dots for us and gives us some understanding and some confirmations. It's so great. But when it, the going really gets tough, it's what God says in his word to us that's really going to get us through it. So what does it mean that they're going to be shipwrecked? I don't know if they're so happy about that piece of news. We're going to be shipwrecked. And there's something, there's nothing gentle about a shipwreck. You know, so there's not like you're saying we're just going to coast on easy here and we're just going to make it to the shore. That's not what was being said. And here's what it looked like. Acts 27, 40 to 44. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Which has a whole sermon all in itself about just letting go of some stuff. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail and headed towards shore. So they're thinking they're just going to go into the beach which is okay because then it's shallow water, right? So they're just going to head to the beach. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. So right there they're going, uh-oh, something's not working out like Paul said here. We're, our plan of shipwreck was going in, landing on the beach, jumping off, maybe swimming a few yards, and then off you go and, and Bob's your uncle. That's not it. And they noticed it because it uh, ran aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast, the front of it. 
while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. So you got to picture this. There's a storm big enough. This ship held 276 people or something. Yeah, 276 people plus cargo. This was a big vessel. And it was, the storm was bad enough <laughs> that it was smashing the back of the, the boat apart. This is a storm. This is chaos. And you got to use your imagination here. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape because if the prisoners got, uh, got away, then the soldiers would be killed. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul so he didn't let them carry out their plan. You know what that is? That's divine favor. That's divine favor. Um, it's just it's just beautiful, divine favor. There's a wonderful story in the church right now uh, about divine favor, someone receiving divine favor. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. So they're going, oh, great. The others who held onto planks or debris from the broken ship. So everyone escaped safely to the shore. Now, that's a nice little end there, but think about it. And the point we're trying to get to here is the amount of chaos that was going on. Um, the, the ship is being smashed. The waves are breaking over the back of the ship. It's being smashed to pieces. There's people who can't swim. And then there's people who can swim, but there's huge waves and a storm going on. That is the absolute, I could not think of a more terrifying place of chaos than that. But yet what's so amazing People jump overboard. Other people grab pieces of the, the ship and they try to make for shore. But they all get ashore. And what's amazing is you can think in all of that chaos, God had control of each person. The piece of board they were going to hang on to, the way they were going to swim to the shore. In that massive state of chaos, God was still in control. And so often, the mistake that, you know, Peter made it when God asked Peter to step out into the storm. At that point, Peter saw the storm and said, I can't do it. I'm going to, this is going to kill me. And of course, he started to sink. You got to give some credit to these guys because whatever Paul said to them stuck because they actually jumped into the water, into that storm, and they actually did what God was telling them to do. You're going to be okay, but there's going to be a shipwreck. You and me, we're going to be okay, but there might be some swimming involved. There might be some looking at the circumstances and saying, who am I really going to trust here? Am I really going to jump in this water? Am I really going to believe that God's going to get me to that shore? Or am I just going to take my bets with sticking on this boat and just waiting and see what happens? Got to give credit, they jumped. And they trusted. And because of that, they were saved, even though they were jumping into what looked like their peril. They were leaving what seemed safe, though it was being smashed apart. And you know, sometimes... We have to let go of some stuff. What we think is our safety, what we think is going to make us okay, what we think is going to get us to the shore, 
Well, guess what? It's being torn to pieces by the storm. And sometimes what we find our security is, whether it's feelings, whether it's circumstances, whether it's our jobs, whether it's our financial security, whatever it is, all of a sudden it starts getting battered and torn to pieces by the storm. And, we, and there's a point at which we have to cut the anchor. And we have to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you, Lord, and we're going to keep on going forward. I'm preaching to myself now. But the fact is, we have to trust that what God has in store is going to happen. And when we talked about this the last time, we referred to something out of Romans. Because Paul had a purpose here. Paul's purpose was to go to Rome to speak to Caesar. And all things happen for good for those who are according to his purpose. So you and I have been called to a purpose. We mentioned this the last time we looked at this piece of scripture. And if you're still alive, guess what? Your purpose isn't finished yet. I don't care if you're 102. Heather's mother... Who's a hundred? She she broke her leg at a hundred, right? They said she's not going to survive the operation. She comes through flying colors. She gets COVID. She's fine. Somebody wants Heather's mother alive. There's two good reasons to take her home. But for some reason, <laughs> God is keeping her, and away you go. But the point is sometimes. The back to the point, we are called by purpose and God says in his word, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He tells us there's a purpose. He tells us that he is the author and the finisher of our salvation. He will finish the good work that he began in us in Christ Jesus. So maybe we got to jump off the boat and start swimming in some of our circumstances, whatever, whatever that may be. Matthew 10, 29 says, what is the price of two sparrows? This is Jesus speaking. He's talking to people. One copper coin, which was not a lot in those days. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. Now that's an amazing fact and it's another, it's another evidence of the control that God has. How many sparrows are there in the world? There's gazillions of them. And that's just one category of bird. And Jesus is saying, and I don't think this is hyperbole. I don't think Jesus was lying so that he could make a dramatic story. He was telling us something about our father. And he was saying there's not a sparrow on this planet that falls that God isn't aware that it just died. And then he goes on to say, and the very hairs of your head are all numbered. God could just know your name. He could just know your shoe size. He could just know the color of your eyes. But he knows something that nobody else knows. He knows the number of actual hairs on your head. Some of us, it's easier to know that now. Zero is a pretty good number, right? So there's no counting there. But the fact is, at one point you did have some. <laughs> and so God knows every bit of it. God knows the minutia 
of the situation. And Jesus goes on and says, so don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. This is amazing truth that is hard to, uh, uh, there's nothing easy about this. It's easy in theory. It's easy for me to stand here and talk about this and everyone goes, well, that's A and B and that makes sense. And yeah, that's good truth and that's good old truth. But when you're living this, it's hard. It's hard stuff. It's hard when you see the waves and you feel the threat and you don't know how to swim and they're telling you to jump off a boat when you don't know how to swim. But God calls us into circumstances that we don't know how to swim in. But he's saying, I'm going to give you something that is going to enable you to survive in a context that you in the natural cannot survive. You can't swim. So God made an option. Said, well, take some boards. And he made those boards come to that person as they would go in the water or they took it from, tore it off themselves. But nonetheless, the remnant of what they thought was their safety, they took and jumped in the water and away they went. I, I have to believe God is calling us to jump in the water in some way, shape, or form in our lives, to trust him in the storm because he is, even though it may look like everything is falling apart in your life, or in the circumstances that don't make sense. And there's so many things that don't make sense. Oh, my heavens. There's so many things happening right now that just don't seem to be making sense in Christians' lives, in the world, and in situations. But in that disorder and in all that chaos, God knows exactly where everything is going, where it's going to end up, it says man makes his own thoughts, but God knows the end thereof. God knows where it's going to end. And we just have to trust him. Oh, God, give us the ability to trust. But we need to trust that he has the end. He had our beginning, and he has our end. And I love that scripture. It says Jesus is the, the author and the finisher that he will present us to the Father, that we have been put into the hand of God, and it says nothing is going to pluck you out of that hand. This is powerful stuff, stuff that we are going to have to start really believing and really holding on to, and there's nothing easy about it. It's, it's not easy, but it is possible. It is possible. So, what did Paul do? He stopped and he ate in the middle of the storm. He stopped and he gave thanks. He stopped in the middle of all this chaos and said, you know what we're going to do, folks? We're going to eat and we're going to, and he did it. He recognized God. He thanked God. And it said everything, you know, they were encouraged. And I thought, well, Lord, what should we do today? He said, stop, eat, remember God, and allow that remembrance and that knowledge to encourage us. So we're going to, we're going to do communion. Um, I was talking to someone last night when I about it, Erica, and, and we realized, oh, the mass <laughs> technically, technically, um, I, I don't know, like, 
I guess you'll just have to lift up the mat and just do that. Is everyone okay with that? Could you, you know? And we're, se we're separated and stuff, so um, just put the mask back down uh, when you take the communion. Don't breathe. <laughs> Stand on one foot. Put the arm in the air. And uh, we'll get through this. But, uh, but such is the world we're living in right now, and it's, it's, it's necessary. So um, if you want to just come up, and it's right in the center, and you can just take uh, what you want and just go back to your seats.
And um, when we do this, it's it's just <coughs> it's always a warning. It's very real about taking communion. Uh, some of us in our traditions that we may have grown up in, taking communion is just something you do. Um, and uh, without any true understanding of what it represents. And Paul gives a very clear warning. He says, if you have not come to a place in your life where you have honestly looked at God and looked at the message of salvation and looked at the truth of Scripture and said, Father, I want you to forgive my sins. I want you to give me what Jesus died for on the cross. If you do not have a clear understanding of that and if you have not done that and have repented in your heart of the life that you live, I'm not saying that you're perfect. That's not what this is all about. It's about the desire for the perfection of Christ in my life and have come to a point of understanding sin and repentance and have asked Christ into your life. If you have not done that, this is not something you should take because Paul says you can actually bring a curse down on yourself. But if it's being done in the knowledge of who Jesus is, the knowledge of what he has done, and the desire to follow Christ, then this is most certainly something that people have been doing for 2,000 years now. As I often say, in the middle of sometimes prisons, caves, mansions, palaces, but they come and they recognize the fundamental core of our faith, of what has been done. Paul explains it this way, 1 Corinthians 11. For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. Paul saw Jesus. Jesus spoke this to him. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is all uh, a ceremonial remembrance and a reverencing of what Jesus has done for us. And may we, Father, as we take this today, may we have a greater revelation of the broken body of Jesus Christ. May we have a greater understanding of what was provided for us in that broken body and that through it we have been healed. Father, we thank you for taking our punishment for sin, for bearing on your back the stripes that we deserve, for carrying the heavy load of sin that was ours and you took it on you and took all the punishment for it and the shame attached to it. The judgment and the punishment and the abandonment when you cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? You took that all so that we would not have to bear those things. So, Father, we take this bread as a emblem, remembrance of you. In Jesus' name. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. Huge. And a 
agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. The new covenant of grace and forgiveness that God has given to us written by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when we take it, we are announcing the Lord's death, but also his second coming, which may be sooner than we think. I had someone I trust very dearly, very deeply this morning send me, he said, five o'clock this morning, he said, I got up and I just said, it's coming, it's coming faster than we know. And so, Father, we take this cup, we recognize the covenant, this new covenant, this eternal covenant that you have made with us through the death of your son and the blood that was shed, the blood that takes away the sins of the world, and those are our sins, that we are washed, cleansed, justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we don't understand it totally, but we take it to the point that we do know it and the rest by faith. That, Father God, it is a finished work. So we take this cup in remembrance of you, in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good. You know, it... Uh, it's interesting um, how things work out. How things work out. Um, anyone notice anything different here today? <laughs> yeah. It's wonderful. Actually, we'll take up an offering before I tell the story. It's a great story. Lord, we uh, stop down, take time to uh, give back to you through our finances. Um, and we do it as an act of faith, trust, and uh, we give this to you in Jesus' name. And for those that are at home, um, you'll notice that there's a new email address for e-transfer giving. Uh, so Liz is going to put up a slide, and that it, it's the new address. It's mosaicofferings at gmail.com, so you'll see that.